0: have your Bible with you. Turn with me to the gospel according to Mark. The New Testament book of Mark chapter 3. This morning we will be reading verses 20 down to verse 35. If you're a guest with us, we are making our way through the book of Mark verse by verse, watching Jesus on the move learning about his kingdom, what it means to follow him as our king, what it means to be a part of his kingdom and his mission. And normally we we work verse by verse and, and look in detail at what Jesus is doing on the move. Today, we will be doing something a little bit different. We're going to be thinking big picture, looking at a bigger section of Mark. We will come back for more detail at another time. But today, looking at this passage, I want to show you Mark's mission sandwich. All that in mind, let's read verses 20 to 35. This is the word of the Lord. Then he, that's Jesus, went home and the crowd gathered again so that they could not even eat. And when his family heard it, they went out to seize him. For they were saying, he is out of his mind. And the scribes who came down from Jerusalem were saying, He is possessed by Beelzebub, and by the prince of demons he casts out the demons. And he called to them and said to them in parables, How can Satan cast out Satan? If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. And if a house is divided against itself, that house will not be able to stand. And if Satan but is guilty of an eternal sin. For they were saying, He has an unclean spirit. And his mother and his brothers came, and standing outside, they sent to him and called him. And a crowd was sitting around him, and they said to him, Your mother and your brothers are outside seeking you. And he answered them, Who are my mother and my brothers? And looking about at those who sat around him, he said, "Here." are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and sister and mother. There is nothing like a good sandwich. It doesn't matter if we're talking a simple grilled cheese or the most complex deluxe sandwich with all your favorite ingredients. The other day I made Dad's favorite sandwich at the house. I'll, t- I'll tell you a little bit about it. I won't tell you too much because I'm actually really hungry right now already and I'm about to get hungrier. But you got to start out with some pastrami, right? You cover pastrami with the right cheese, maybe get some extra toppings. And that day I was feeling super special, so we didn't get any kind of buns. We got a special kind of bun to cover that sandwich up. And then put some spicy mustard on it, spread it over that pastrami, stick it in the oven, let it toast for a minute. Now we're talking. And listen, if I came to your house with my special pastrami sandwiches and served them up, there's a right way to eat it, and there's a wrong way to eat it, okay? You don't pick the bread off and and take all these special ingredients and, and pick at them and eat them one by one. No, you eat the whole sandwich. Grab it, both hands, and eat it all at once. That's how you eat a sandwich, right? Mark likes to make sandwiches. He makes a lot of sandwiches, actually. Today, we're looking at his mission sandwich. Next week, or a couple of weeks down the road, we're going to see a parable sandwich that Mark puts together. Mark Makes sandwiches. Now here's the problem. We like to pick at it. We like to take this ingredient that's interesting to us and pull it out of the sandwich and chew on it and think about it and talk about it and try to figure it out. But we don't grab that sandwich with both hands and eat the whole thing. Now, here's what I'm talking about. I'm going to show you this this sandwich and then we're going to take a bite. Okay, now you need a Bible to see this. That's why you should, you should bring your Bible to church. You, you need a physical Bible to see this. This screen ain't going to help you today. And your phone's not going to help you a whole lot either. You, you need a Bible to see this, and I, I want you to, be, to look and see so that you can see what's going on here. All right? First, in verse 20 to 21, you got the top bun. It's the top of the sandwich. And the family comes and tries to control Jesus. But then Mark brings us the meat, the middle of the sandwich, in verses 22 to verse 30. And in the midst of all the family stuff going on, the scribes from Jerusalem show up and accuse Jesus. Now, see, in this meat here, in the sandwich, we find the ingredient of the unforgivable sin. They're the onions. And we like to stop, forget the sandwich, and debate with one another what is the unforgivable sin? And like this is the only thing we talk about when we study this passage. But Mark made a sandwich. And just to show you the, the conclusion, there's the bottom bun starting in verse thirty one to thirty five. It's back to the family. He's wrapping it up where he started on the top bun. And the family again is trying to control Jesus. But in the midst of all that, there's this third group sitting at Jesus' feet. We have Mark's mission sandwich. In in chapters 3 and 4, Mark is showing us how people respond to Jesus. And, And just in this sandwich, the family looks at Jesus and thinks he's crazy. He's out of his mind. The scribes look at Jesus and they think he's evil. He's possessed by a spirit. The disciples look at Jesus and know that he is king. And they sit at his feet. And Mark is showing us that how you respond to Jesus is how you respond to his mission. If you're familiar at all with C.S. Lewis, he, he, he taught that you cannot believe that Jesus is a good man. You cannot believe Jesus is a good teacher because he taught that he is God. You either think that he's out of his mind you either think that he is evil or you think that he is Lord. That's, that's what we see in this passage. And how we respond to Jesus determines how we follow his mission. And friends, what Mark is trying to show us with this sandwich is that nothing, nothing, nothing can get away, can get in the way of Jesus's mission. Now I want to try to show you that. Let's, we're going to take a bite into this sandwich together. I want to show you three responses to Jesus' mission. The first response to Jesus' mission as king is distraction. You see this in verses 20 and 21 in the top bun, and you see this in verse 31 in the bottom bun. Verse 20, Mark writes, Then he went home, and the crowd gathered again so that they could not even eat. And when his family heard it, they went out to seize him, for they were saying, He is out of his mind. And then in verse 31, his mother and his brothers came and standing outside, they sent to him and called him. Things are getting out of hand. If you followed along the story, you've seen how every time Jesus tries to get home, they got to do crowd control. He cannot even get through the door. He's not getting any sleep. He's either staying up all night healing people or he's out in the mountains in prayer. He keeps a getaway boat on hand so that people don't crush him and kill him. And now in verse 20, Mark tells us that Jesus cannot even eat a sandwich. And on top of that, there's all kinds of trouble brewing between Jesus and the scribes and the teachers. Every story we've read so far in Mark, there's another fight, another confrontation between the religious leaders and Jesus. Now imagine that's your son or brother. He can't sleep, he can't eat, people are, are at his door nonstop, he's constantly getting in fights with the with the status quo. How would you feel if that was your son or brother? Jesus' family comes to him out of concern that he's too fanatical. He's out of his mind. He's taken things too far. He's got good ideas, but he's, he's a little crazy. And so they seize him, Mark tells us. They, they come to put a stop to Jesus. They want to put a stop to this madness. They stand over Jesus to control him. They want to force him to tone things down. And whether it's for his safety or the family's reputation, Jesus needs to come to his senses. He needs to be a little more practical. He needs to be a little more realistic. And so as Jesus is walking his path to the cross, his family tries to stop him. And what do they become? Jesus' own family becomes the distraction. It's not the only response we see in this sandwich. The second response we see is plain attack. Look at verse 22. And the scribes who came down from Jerusalem were saying, He is possessed by Beelzebul, and by the prince of demons, he casts out the demons. Now usually when the scribes show up, they have a question. Why don't you fast? Why don't you and your disciples keep the Sabbath? But the time, you'll notice, for questions is over. These guys show up from Jerusalem and they bring their charges. Now notice what happens here in verse 22. The opponents of Jesus, who have only questioned him, who have only fought against him, recognize his power. They don't debate it. They know he can do what he says he can do. They've seen it with their own eyes. The problem is they think it's on the other side. Where does the power come from? That's the question. And they've seen Jesus break enough church rules to come to the conclusion that Jesus works for the enemy. He is possessed by Beelzebub. That's just an alternative name for the devil at this point in time. And so they see Jesus, the son of God, and accuse him for being the son of Satan. And Jesus, he has no time for this. He says, how ridiculous is that? Why would Satan fight against himself? What sense does that make? Logic is not their biggest problem, however. Jesus tells them that they're in danger of being unsavable. That they are about to cross the line and become unforgivable. Now, here's the part of the sandwich that everybody likes to chew on and and pick at. And we're not going to pick at it. We're going to save the details for next week. If you want to know what the unforgivable sin is, you're going to have to come back. Because we're eating the whole sandwich today. But the, the scribes look at Jesus. Think about this. They look at the light of the world. The religious leaders who have studied the Bible their whole life look at God in the flesh. They look at the greatest good that has ever existed and they call it evil. Here's the question. Why does Mark take these two approaches, these two responses to Jesus and put them together? Why not just tell the story of the family and the distraction? and then get to the scribes and the attack? Why does he purposefully pause on the story of the family and then insert the meat of the sandwich and talk about the scribes and then come back to the family? What's he doing? He has, he has a purpose. He made this sandwich for you, special, with an intentional reason. What is he doing? Mark is showing us, brothers and sisters, that there is no difference between distraction and attack. They are the same thing. They belong in the same sandwich. They pair together like pastrami and spicy mustard. Jesus, he he tells us his mission. He's come to bind Satan. He's come to rescue his people. That's the reason he's here. So, whether by distraction or attack, people have tried to come to Jesus and bind him. Jesus has come to bind the evil one, and people, whether it's his family or the religious leaders, are standing over Jesus and trying to stop that from happening. And what should not surprise us is that the mission is under attack. From the very beginning, That's the story. That's the enemy's goal. What happened at the very beginning? Man is walking with God in the garden, and the enemy emerges, tempting Eve to disbelieve God's word. Later on, as as the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob are in Egypt, they're being attacked. As they are rescued from Egypt and they get to the cusp of the promised land to enjoy the milk and honey God has provided him, the enemy brings giants at the entrance to scare God's people and cause them not to believe God's plan for their good. The entire storyline of the Bible is about the seed of the serpent and the seed of the woman at war. And so it should not surprise us that when Jesus, the seed, the Son of God, shows up, that there is an attack, that there is a distraction. That shouldn't blow us away. But Mark is showing us this to ask us this. Where do the distractions and the attacks come from? Have you picked up on that? We've seen it over and over again in the book of Mark, so it shouldn't surprise us anymore. The distractions and the attacks don't come from the Roman Empire. They don't come from the pagans. It comes from the people and the places you'd never expect. It's the ones who knew Jesus the best, the ones who grew up in the house with Jesus. Mary's probably in this group. His brothers and sisters do not believe him. It's the the men who have dedicated their life to the Old Testament. It's the men who have dedicated their life to understanding God's word. Those are the ones who are attacking the Son of God. And so instead of turning our attention to the world and outsiders, Mark puts the focus on those in our immediate circle. And he, he wants us to ask ourselves, Because we're in the immediate circle. How do you and I stand in the way of Jesus' mission? How do you and I cause distraction? How do we tempt the mission from not being moved forward? What distractions tempt us to turn back? There's too many to name. But let's just make it very personal. Think about your own life right now. What, what's distracting you? Jesus, if he's your king, he's commissioned you to go and make disciples of all nations, teaching them everything that he, he has commanded, to take what you have been taught and, and to pass it on to others who will be able to teach others also. These, these aren't optional uh, mission agendas for those who are in the elite. This is basic Christianity. What what has distracted you from being a disciple sitting at Jesus' feet who makes disciples? As Neil Postman wrote in 1985, we are amusing ourselves to death. What is it for you? What's the distraction? What's the, what's the amusement? Remember the message from, from the book of Mark. It's to repent and believe. Repent means to turn. And if we repent, if we believe in Jesus as our king and his mission, it means we have to turn from these things. It means to give everything to what Jesus has for us. That means we have to give up things that we like. We have to give up things that we're used to. We have to get rid of things that are good but aren't exactly the mission. That's what it means to follow the king. And unless you think Jesus is fine with you holding on to some things, he tells us in Luke chapter 9, verse 62 no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. And listen, I could spend a lot of time, I'm not going to do that, but we could spend a lot of time listing specific distractions. We could do that as a church family. And brothers and sisters, we got way too many distractions. We've got so many distractions. Mark wants to see them. Wants us to see them in their true colors. They may be good things in and of themselves. But what Mark is showing us is if something distracts us from the mission, it's no longer good, it's satanic. It's no longer on his side of things, it's on the enemy's side of things. Distractions are the same as attack. And listen, when the church, when you take the Great Commission seriously, I'm trying to help you and encourage you. It's not going to sound like an encouragement, but it's going to be the day it happens. If you take the mission seriously, you will be attacked. I promise you that. You dedicate your life to the mission of Christ, tomorrow there's an attack. I guarantee you that. You, you decide that you want to teach Sunday school for, for children. I guarantee you Saturday night is going to be messed up at your house. And the enemy is going to attack, trying to make you distracted, not ready to teach those kids the gospel. You dedicate your life to to give your life to the mission of Christ, to, to, to give everything you have to his name, to his kingdom. You are target number one. The enemy is just fine with you being amused to death. The enemy is just fine with you being distracted, playing church games, doing all the nice things that people do and call it Christian. But he will attack you the minute you decide to make disciples. He will attack you the minute you make proclaiming the gospel a priority. That's what's going to happen. And so, we just have to see the mission for what it is. And be committed enough to do whatever it takes to proclaim the gospel no matter what attack comes our way. That's what the Apostle Paul had had realized in his own life. And so in Philippians chapter 3, verse 13 to 14, he says, Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. I press on toward the goal of for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Brothers and sisters, if Jesus is our king, his mission must take top priority. Nothing should get in its way. And we can either be a distraction. Some of us can attack that. But what this sandwich shows us is that the followers of Jesus have a different response to his mission, to the king. And this response is surrender. We see this, that bottom bun of the sandwich, in verse 34 to 35. Look at this group. Verse 34. And looking about those who sat around him, Jesus said, Here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of God He is my brother and sister and mother. In the midst of all this rejection, of all this distraction, there's a group ready to embrace Jesus. And while Jesus' earthly family stands over him, those who belong to Jesus' new family sit under him. Verse 35, Jesus redefines what it means to be family. What, is, what does it mean to belong to Jesus' family? Verse 35, he says, it's whoever does the will of God. What does the will of God mean? What is the will of God for your life? Well, Mark states it in his theme verse, in Mark 1, verse 15, when he says, repent and believe the gospel. That's the will of God. To, to recognize the good news of the King of Jesus and to turn over everything to that, and to follow him. You don't belong to the family of Jesus by your birth. When Jesus redefines family, he said, forget who is in my house and and the family that I grew up in. My family is different. My family is unique. I have made a a new family. So brothers and sisters, you don't belong to Jesus' family because your mom's in the family of God. You don't belong to the family of Jesus because your grandparents were Christians. You don't belong to the family of God by your status or your position in society. The religious leaders, the, the, the people who are most respected in the society, they're not the ones sitting under Jesus. So it doesn't matter what job you have. It doesn't matter how many people look up to you. It doesn't matter what kind of influence you have in the community. That doesn't make you a part. You don't belong to the family of Jesus By anything else other than complete surrender to the king. When you repent and believe in the gospel. John chapter 1 verse 11, 13. John tells us, Jesus came to his own and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Who were born, not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Let me ask you, if you think you belong to the family of God, why do you think that? What makes you a part? Is it because you grew up in church? Is it because you were baptized as a young child? Is it because you said a certain prayer? Is it because you've studied the Bible your whole life? Listen, those things do not make you a part of the family. Nothing that we do makes us a part of the family. Jesus did everything for us in his perfect life, in his death on the cross, in his resurrection. And he brings us into the family himself. And all he calls us to do is what these people are doing. And it's to drop everything and sit. To sit at his feet. To rest in what he has done. In his good news. Galatians 4 verse 4 to 5, but when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. Listen, if you are here today and recognize that despite whatever story you have, whatever good you've done in your life, However much you've been involved in church and Christian things, you recognize that you are not a part of the family of God by faith. Repent and believe today. Belong to the family of God. But when you surrender to Jesus and you live on mission, brothers and sisters, what should you expect? Do you call yourself a disciple? Do you belong to the family of God? Does the Holy Spirit live inside of you and say, yes, indeed, you are a child of God? What should we expect? It's what Jesus got. Distraction and attack. John 15, verse 20. Jesus says, Remember the word that I said to you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will keep, also keep yours. Brothers and sisters, when the Son of God came to earth, his own family... And the people who were most religious laughed him off, wrote him off, and attacked him as if he were the enemy. And friends, the time is coming and is now here where if you claim to follow the Lord Jesus Christ, you will be looked at and written off as crazy and you will be written off and cast off as wicked and evil. If you claim to follow the king and hold to the truth of God's word, that is what you are going to be labeled as. Brothers and sisters, no longer do we live in a day where being a Christian is a badge of honor and puts some respect on your name. Those days are gone, and so if you're just here for credibility in town, time's up. But to follow the master means to be labeled a lunatic and a liar, and even evil. 1 Corinthians 1, verse 18, Paul tells us the reason for this is the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing. Later in chapter 4, he tells the Corinthians that all the apostles are fools for Christ's sake. Brothers and sisters, are you ready to be a fool? Are you ready to be a fool for Christ's sake? His cross is not wisdom to the world. It's foolishness. It's silly. If we're going to follow Christ, we have to be ready to embrace that folly. The good news of that is that you don't have to be crazy alone. You don't have to be thought of as wicked alone. Jesus said it's not good for man to be alone and he brings us into a family. Brothers and sisters, this year should have taught us a couple of things. And one of the things it hopefully has, has taught you and showed you, you cannot do this alone. You will not make it alone. And too long we've tried to live our own lives independent, not needing anyone. Just do my own Christian thing, my own way. It's not going to cut it anymore. And remember what Jesus said to the, the scribes. A divided house cannot stand. Brothers and sisters, we will not survive. We will not stand against the tide that is coming against us if we are divided. If we're